Well, welcome back to Crazy Faith Talk. I'm Steve. I'm Sarah. And I'm Erica. So we are smack dab in the middle of a series that is kicking off this new year of 2021, which are which is different spiritual practices. Um, so we've already talked about some really big topics, such as you know, uh, prayer, fasting. Stuff about picking scripture verses to help guide you in either your life or week or month or year or whatever you choose. So where are we going to today, Erica? So today we are covering some of my favorite topics in the spiritual formation category. Uh, as a Wesleyan and as somebody who has a, a degree in spiritual formation, um, this is right. This is as Steve said before we were recording my bailiwick. We're going to be talking about covenant groups and confession and accountability, spiritual direction, all those kind of fun things. Those things that typically, just like fasting that we said a couple weeks ago, make us kind of uncomfortable when we hear them. Like, I think we're more comfortable probably talking about fasting and maybe even <laughs> doing fasting than we are necessarily about accountability groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but as a Wesleyan, as a Methodist, this is the core of my faith. Um, this is how our movement got started was through um, a group that John and Charles Wesley and the brothers started at Oxford University over in England uh, called the Holy Club, where they met together with a group of uh, fellow seminarians and, um, well, they weren't seminarians, but, you know, um, students studying scripture, preparing to go into uh, the pastoral ministry. And they, they would meet together on a regular basis and they'd ask each other, how is it with your soul? You know, how are, what temptations have you dealt with this week? How have you dealt with them? Like, how has God delivered you from temptation? And that holy club grew into societies and classes and bands. I mean, I could, I could go on for an hour mm-hmm. <laughs> just talking mm-hmm. about these things. But um, it's something I've been a part of for the past, gosh, about five or six years. Mm-hmm. In my own ministry, I've been part of a covenant group, which we have a set of, uh, a, a set of goals that we go over every week that we hold each other accountable to, and it has made me a better person, uh, even though I often fail at <laughs> some of our goals. Um, but it, I think, for me personally, especially as Wesleyan, this is something that I see the church needs to recover. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. the church needs to get back into this pattern, because we've, we've lost this accountability to one another, and because of that, we've gone off in a whole bunch of different directions that aren't real Christ-like, mm-hmm, honestly. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I have found in my own life that we seem to have lost the ability to have dialogue. Yes. And having dialogue about our spiritual life in particular, because yes. I know when I was growing up, it was hammered in my head that at the dinner table, you do not talk about politics or religion. Mm-hmm. And... But where else are you supposed to talk about religion, right? Like, especially when you're gathered around a meal. But it's, it's you know, when it's hammered into your head that the, that's not polite conversation, you start, or you never really start, really, mm-hmm. talking about what's going on in your own spiritual life. And I think having that dialogue in community is so important. And it... 
I agree. I think that's something that is missing in in our lives. It, it reminds me, I've, I've heard this line said a, a fair amount over the last several years, that that whole notion of you don't talk about politics and religion has not created a more civil society, but people who are incapable of having difficult conversations yeah. about things that matter but people that disagree on. And it seems to me like the value of a group of people in your life, whether you call it a covenant group or an accountability group or whatever, and however large or small, there's different ways or dynamic we may talk about how, how one might structure this, but that it's not about... I need an echo chamber of people who all identically think, but uh, think think and believe exactly the same. But people who will help me to be honest with myself and where where uh, my attempt to be to strive to be more Christ-like uh, can hold it's that that idea of accountability. And there will be some things we hold in common, um, but people who can, in, in some ways, you need the variety of someone who can see blind spots, so to speak, that I can't see in myself, who can who can say like, hey, wait a second, I notice you're not addressing this part, or hey, what about this, or you shared before, this is a struggle for you, how's that going, or something like that. That can be really, really helpful. Our faith has become so individualistic, mm -hmm. just like everything else in American society and mm -hmm. in Western society, that we don't know how to... to share our faith in an evangelical sense, mm -hmm. let alone how to share our struggles in our faith right. with one another. And, and that's where like my covenant group has come in. Um, the one I've been a part of for years and years and years. I've also been a part of a clergy group for the last about three years or so that's kind of acts in the same way. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To have those groups in my life and be able to share, like, you know what, man, I'm really struggling with this. Or like... Right. I'm questioning this about God, or I'm questioning this about my faith. It, it's just, it's made me a better person, it's made me a better pastor. Yeah, yeah. So, like, there's a couple of ways that this whole notion of having people in your life that you regularly check in with, it seems like, can be beneficial. One is, theoretically, yeah, we might see improvements in our own lives if there's other people help holding us accountable. And if, and if I have the... I know I'm going to have to look other people in the eye and tell them, you know, here's what I'm working on and how did I do with it. It will keep me potentially more honest than I would have been if I can fudge it on my own. But also having the space of people to know I'm not going through this experience alone and the grace of other people saying, you know, I've been through a struggle like that or I'm going through it now or and even the ability, here's other people in your life that sometimes... Um, my own or your own ability, you know, your own experience will help somebody else. It, it's helpful to know that sometimes you make a difference in somebody else's life. I mean, all of those are possible ways this could be a real benefit. Uh, maybe it would be worth talking about, like, okay, how I, if, if, if somebody's listening, okay, I, I get the idea of having other people around you in your life that you check in with or whatever to do your own sort of spiritual check-in or whatever, maintenance. Um, what are different ways that can look like? Does it have to be a, a group of people? Are they supposed to be pastors, not pastors, friends? People go to my church, not far away, near. And that there's a lot of different ways that can look. And it can be groups or more one-on-one, -on -one, like with a spiritual director. What, what are ways that can look like? So the group I've been a part of for most of my ministry, um, they are in the town I used to serve. They're in Warren, Pennsylvania. I'm in Marion Center. I'm two hours away from them. Mm -hmm. um, so... Distance does not have to be an issue. Mm -hmm. you know, I know folks that have groups like this where they're all over the country. Mm -hmm. You know, and they meet either over the phone or over video chat or something. So, to answer part of the question, like, does it have to be people right in your community? No. 
Okay. And sometimes that's helpful not to be people. Yeah, game. yeah, yeah. And the 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 pandemic. If there's any positive to what we've all had to learn through, mm-hmm. it's oh, there's lots of ways we can make important conversations over distance happen, whether yes. it's phone or video or whatever, in a way that maybe we weren't ready to make that technological leap before this. But that that's a door that's a lot more open to folks now. Okay. And I've recently had really positive experience with spiritual direction, which okay. is more one-on-one instead of a covenant group. Um, a spiritual director is somebody who is specifically trained to help guide people, I guess is the best word I can come up with, of either trying new spiritual practices or talking through what is your current, like, what gives you life in your life? Like, hmm. what is... What builds you up spiritually um, and what is tearing you down? Mm-hmm. And um, in my own life, I've experienced a lot of transition, not only in this past year, but really in the past four years with becoming a parent and trying to balance parenting and being a pastor. And then this pandemic hit and like it's like... Oh my God, goodness, it's been a year of this and I don't have time anymore for time for God, mm. with just me and God. And so being able to talk to somebody who's specifically trained in this was very helpful for me. Um, you know, this is a past colleague who's been now trained since I've met him. And um, he was looking for people... Um, to finish out his training, so I was one of those people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's just a meeting three times and then deciding after the third one, do we need to continue meeting? But, you know, talking about what is it like being so busy that you feel like you have to multitask, and if you're not multitasking, feeling it like you're dropping a ball. Mm-hmm. And how do you then find time, carve time out in your busy schedule to devote to God and what are some more different ways that we could try doing this? And how can you do it so that you're not multitasking while you're giving time to God and not feel guilty? Yeah. And so, like, that's been a personal journey that's been really helpful to have that one-on-one time where it's just talking about me and my current I don't want to say spiritual problems, but spiritual problems. (laughs) And um, so spiritual direction I found to be extremely helpful. And something really important that you mentioned, Sarah, with your spiritual director is this is a person that's been trained. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you can get advice from anyone. (laughs) You know, you can get advice from your friends. But if if you're specifically looking for a spiritual director, my encouragement is somebody who has just a a smidgen of training in this area, Mm -hmm. a class on it in seminary is to find somebody who has been trained, mm-hmm. who knows how to sit and to listen to you, listen to the Spirit, and, and guide you, and won't bring their own issues. They're like a good counselor. Yeah, yeah. But on the spiritual side of things, versus just, you know, everyday life. Yeah. And not every pastor has been trained as a spiritual right. leader. No, right, no. Right. no like, not. I have not had that training. Like, I've been trained to listen Mm-hmm. And I've certainly been trained on different spiritual practices, but I am not a trained spiritual director. And I think the, the, the way you're mentioning this is really helpful. That like the, the idea of a spiritual director is not simply someone who knows a lot about the Bible who can throw Bible verses at you. Yeah. That may or may not be a useful tool in their toolbox, but more, more has to do with the ability to listen to somebody where they're at and 
one is like not to freak out that now I have to fix you. It's not. It's not. About, it's not about fixing. Um, and like you also said, Erica, it's not about oh, this is triggering something in me as the director. Now I gotta you know pour out my garbage to you. Um, but it's that ability to sort of listen to the moment, bring wisdom or suggestions to the other person to see what they will do with it or what's helpful. And it, it, that the, the idea of directing or guiding is different than you must be in lockstep with what I tell you you must do. This isn't a cult leader. This is like. A, a, a touchstone along the way. Let me bounce this off of you and they'll bounce something back, that kind of thing. And in some ways, the, the training of a spiritual director um, is the, the, the having the right touch with the people you were like, how, how to know not just what to say, but like, how do I need to lay this out for the other person to be able to hear it or uh, for, for the, the other person to, what, what needs to be said in this moment? Not just, I know you haven't heard enough Bible stories. Let me read more Bible verses at you, that kind of thing. If you're looking for a spiritual director, may I recommend you go to the local Catholic church or the local monastery, the local convent, whatever, you know, because the local Catholic priest, if they are not a trained spiritual director themselves, will probably have an idea of where you could find one in your area. It's, it seems like that's a, that's a um, traditional rule that uh, church bodies and institutions like the Roman Catholic Church have, have uh done better with at identifying and seeing the value of other I'd say other denominations are maybe a little bit slower but some are, are catching up on but for a lot of people this this can feel like um, like an unnecessary you know luxury like no we already have a pastor what do we need this other you know like it's and it's hard to explain to people why this is different you know almost almost like if you're someone who knows nothing about tools and you're like why do you need a Phillips head screwdriver you already have a flat well they are two different tools they, they look similar in some ways but they do different jobs yeah. not helpful to have you know one tool does not fit all all those needs um so, so one approach uh, is the very guided, directed, and kind of formalized relationship of a spiritual director and um, uh, someone who receives that spiritual direction. And I, one of the things I'm hearing both of you highlight about that role is because of the training and the professional role that that person has, this isn't um, exactly a two-directional relationship appears exact. I mean, you, it may be someone who's a colleague in other sense, but one person is there to be the director for the other, and... It's not that uh, if I'm the director, I also get some free therapy by venting my stuff to the person I'm directing. That's separate, right? You, you yeah. deal with your own stuff. I mean, it's seriously like a counselor for secular items. Right, right, right. You know, you don't go to your counselor and then have your counselor start giving their crap back to you. Right. You know, like, you go to a counselor to deal with your crap, and right. then your counselor hopefully goes and sees somebody to deal with your own crap. <laughs> right. You know, it's not, a, it's not a two-way street necessarily. Right. Um, and, and, in some, and in a lot of ways... I found spiritual direction to be a lot like therapy, mm -hmm. but it's not therapy. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is also a good reason that you need to have a trained spiritual director mm -hmm. because a good trained spiritual director will be able to say, I can't help you with this. Right. I think you need a therapist. Right, yeah. right, right. Um, like a trained therapist yeah. Yeah. to help you with this aspect. I can help you with this, yeah. but not with this. And maybe in a way similar to, hopefully everybody has a primary care physician, doctor, and a good physician will know, here, we're now getting into an area that's beyond my expertise, I recommend this specialist in this area. And then that specialist might say, I can help you with these three things, but it turns out there's something else you're dealing with that's related, here's what I would recommend. That, like, no, hopefully nobody would say, it's ridiculous to have... Uh, an ophthalmologist and a dentist and a primary care physician. Those are three different doctors. Don't you need just one? 
No, these are all different areas, and obviously, with with particular issues, you need more specialization um, for particular kinds of things. So, so even though to folks who aren't familiar with the idea of spiritual direction or are nervous or antsy about how that does or doesn't overlap with counseling or therapy, it, it the it, in my mind seems like a similar mentality to how we approach medical doctors as well. Specialization is a way of dealing with particular problems. It's it's not it's not overkill, it, and the same thing with our spiritual lives as well. But it seems like so much of the culture we live in pays a great deal of attention to our physical bodies and like has this like anything that is not physical, like mental, spiritual, whatever, that must all be made up or walk it off or tough it out or, you know, that, that's, that's, you know, fluffy extra stuff. And no, as, as we as a culture get better at recognizing our, our minds and our hearts and our spirits are a very crucial part of who we are and need attention and need the right tool for the right job or the right voice in those situations, we can appreciate what, what a spiritual director does as different from what a counselor does is different from even what your pastor does. Now, that said, the model of a spiritual director, because it's asymmetrical, that it's sort of one person giving direction toward another person but not a two-way street, is a different approach than, say, a covenant group or accountability group that you talked about uh, earlier, Eric. And I wonder if, if you could share like your own reflection on what are, what are uh, pros or cons or positives or negatives to that sort of like two-way street approach that's part of a covenant group. It seems like that would give some positives, uh, but it's a definitely a different feel to the room if I'm also expected to listen to somebody else and offer my insights to them. What are, what are, what are pros or cons or, or things to consider? So some of the pros of the same as seeing a spiritual counselor, like just having that person to listen to you. Hopefully, if you're in a good covenant group, like when it's your time to share, you know, the rest of the group is attentive and listening and, and focused in on you. Um, and occasionally they'll give you feedback. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes you just need to like vent and just get something out there. Especially if you're in a type of group where it's more like how is it with your soul versus like these are our goals and let's go through them. Because um, there's all different ways to do accountability groups and covenant groups and, and things like that. Um, but some of the cons is that, you know, sometimes our egos and our personalities get in the way. Mm. And, you know, somebody, you know, starts sharing something and somebody else is like, well, yeah, I, I went through something like that, you know, and then we get into that, you know, uh, dog and pony show, you know, they yeah. try to help each other on like, well, who's... Who's either more spiritual or, or who is more humble because, you know, who screwed up more, like... Yeah. And we get this back and forth. Um, and that takes some time to work out. Mm-hmm. Um, the longer I'm with my, my long-term covenant group for more, and the less we have of that because, you know, we, we, we know each other so yeah. well now. Yeah. They were together for a couple of years before I joined their group. But, mm-hmm. like, the four of us know each other so well now that... Usually, if advice is given, it's not like, even if it's given like, well, yeah, I experienced something like this, but there's another pastor in that group with me, and then there's a couple lady. So the pastor might say something like, yeah, I experienced this, but not. it's not in that sense of like, well, you're a terrible pastor for experiencing this. Yeah. Trying to make myself better, you know, and say, well, look at how I handle this. Yeah. This is exactly how you have to handle Like, no, this is my suggestion. Right. From my experience, he's yeah. got 20-something plus years of ministry on top of me. Right, right, right. So I'm like, okay, I'll take that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, you know, but it all depends on the dynamics of the group. I mean, that's really what makes a group good or makes a group not so good. Mm-hmm. It's just how well you fit together. And everybody is different. Yeah. Um, 
you know, for, for Wesley, when he started these, some of his groups were, um, like the, the small groups of bands were usually, you know, all women or all men, mm -hmm. all single or all married. You know, the classes were a mixed group of, you know, men and women, single and married. Mm -hmm. That all, you got to figure what out what works for you. Sure, sure, You know, sure. you got to, you got to find that. And sometimes it just ends up being a group of folks that just, it turns into something like that. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're intentional about it. Mm -hmm. And saying, like, I want to put together this group. And it's okay if it doesn't work. Like, yeah. And, and I, I want to jump off of that. It's always okay that if a covenant group or an accountability group or a spiritual director, if it's not working out, yeah. that's okay. Yeah. You know, you can always find or create a new group or find a new spiritual director. But like, you know, because if your spiritual director is one that is saying, oh yes, you need to be praying the daily office, you know, praying the hours, and that's not jiving with your spiritual life, right? but that's all that spiritual director wants to encourage you to do, I think it's time to find a new spiritual director. Yeah. If your covenant group or accountability group never leave you room to speak and aren't noticing that they aren't leaving you that room... And, you know, you've asked a time and time again to have that space, and it's not happening. It's time to find a new group. Yeah. And I, I, I'm so glad you mentioned both that there's that permission as you go into something. It, do your best, and if it works, great. If it doesn't, one, that's okay. That Number two, if, it, if, if a group you try or a spiritual director you try doesn't seem like it helps, it doesn't mean that the need isn't in you. Like It, it, it means find someone else, but there, there's still that need for connection, accountability, that kind of thing, and it's maybe look for a different group or a different setup or a different person, not that, well, I guess I didn't need it after all, I'll just tough it out myself, or there's something wrong with me because I tried a spiritual director, that didn't work, and I'm still you know having a dark night of the soul, it must be I'm broken. No. Um, and I, I think maybe a piece that we need to say out loud is unlike other practices we've talked about so far, which can be done completely uh, privately without announcing to the world. I mean, it seems like prayer is one of those things that Jesus says, there's, you know, there's good reason for that to be a don't let anybody else know you're praying, you know, let it be this secret, you know, in your prayer closet kind of a thing, or uh, selecting a Bible. Nobody has to know what your Bible verse of the year is. And fasting, again, Jesus says things like, don't go and publicize that you're fasting, but this is something that's, that involves other people, and that makes it scarier because when I tell somebody else, here's something I'm trying, they might ask me later, how's it going? And I'm a, if we are living with this, this fear of failure or I don't want people to see that I blew, you know, blew it on something, it's hard to take that risk. And it's helpful maybe for us to say out loud, uh, an accountability group, it, it's a difficult chemistry to, to, to get right or to, to grow into. And um, like you say, Erica, it may grow, it, it may require some time for people wanting to get to know each other, to get over their ego phase or whatever, and to get to, you know, like, be comfortable with one another. And it can be scary to, to say, I want to be a part of a group because now there's something public, and if, if it doesn't work, I'm worried about that failure piece. And look, this is, this is what it is to be human, is that there's the possibility things we do won't go as we plan, and instead of being afraid of them that to discover God so often meets us in those places that feel like failure at the moment. And if you're in a group that doesn't jive or doesn't work for you or, or in a spiritual direction relationship and it doesn't it doesn't work for you and then that person or those people like come after you for saying then that's even more of a clear sign like you were not in the right group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I will say like 
don't jump ship after like two sessions. Right, right, right. You know, give it some time because building those kind of relationships, especially in a group, mm-hmm. you know, the spiritual director, you could probably figure that out a little bit more quickly because mm-hmm. it's a one-on-one thing. But in a group, give it six months to a year mm-hmm. to try it, depending on how often you meet. Yeah. You know? If you meet weekly, then maybe a little bit less time. But if you only meet monthly, then yeah, a yeah, more time. But you know, again, if it doesn't, if it's not working for you. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. To say, you know what, this isn't working for me, and if they if they give you crap about it not working for you, well then, that's on them, not right, on you. Right. And to me, like this again gets at like um, one of the beauties of something like a formal relationship, like a spiritual director, is part of your training is to know if you're the director, this isn't about you. You got to deal with your own stuff in another place. And accountability groups, you hope everybody around the table gets that I'm here both to be a help for other people and to bring my own stuff to in that back and forthness. Um, but it's it, it, that that's that's a it's a you can't necessarily assume that when, when you're gathering a group of just friends or acquaintances or whatever, that's something you also, you all have to kind of figure out as you go along. Um, it seems to me also a, a, a piece that can be helpful to, to lay down as groundwork in, in whatever kind of setting is the, um, when, when somebody voices something, uh, to a group, um, it, to have clarity, is this one of those times where I'm looking for a solution to a problem and I need help or I just yeah. need to vent something? And a spiritual director, again, like part of their training is to listen really acutely for, is this person inventing something and my job is to accompany and listen and you know, whatever? Are they voicing something? I'm really looking for some suggestions. What, what would you either have me do or what would be some things to try? And one of the difficulties about larger group gatherings is it's hard for everybody to be on the same wavelength about what kind of conversation we're having. And that, that to me seems like a really just basic, important, useful communication skill as humans. It shows up in my world, like in marriage counseling as well, in, in all kinds of, like, it's important to know what kind of conversation are we having. And if someone is pre-wired to, whenever, when anybody talks, my job is to fix them, sometimes that's not what's being asked for, and sometimes that makes it worse. And if I get blowback and people are like, thanks for the suggestion, but that's not really what I was looking for, I, I can I can be upset if I assume that my job is to fix you, and that maybe that's not what a spiritual uh, accountability group is really about. Boundaries are huge mm-hmm. in any of these fields. Mm-hmm. What happens, what is said in a group or in a, in a spiritual director directee relationship, Vegas rules. You know, yeah. what is said, what is said here stays here, does not leave this group. Yeah. But also being able to lay out and saying like, when I go to share something. You know, being able to say to a group or to a director, you know what, I just need to, to vent for a minute and I just need you to listen. I mm-hmm. don't need any advice. I don't want any suggestions. I just need to get this off my chest. Yeah. Versus, you know what, I need to vent, but I would also like some suggestions on yeah. how, to, how to deal with the situation yeah. too. And also, one of the things that's really important, especially, um, especially with the group, but I think with the director as well, setting a time limit yeah. and sticking to it Mm-hmm. Um, because that's one of the things that can, that can really derail a group is if you get, you know, sometimes one person will talk the entire time because they're just dealing with so much stuff that they just need to get it out, and that's okay. But like if that continues and that's it's always the same person taking up, say you're meeting for an hour and they take up half of that time when you've got five or six other people that want to yeah to share something, that's not healthy. Yeah. And if you you set aside an hour every week or every time you meet, whatever, however often it is, and you're constantly going an hour and a half, two hours long, 
then that's not helpful yeah. for anyone. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. You need to respect each other's time. Yeah, yeah. That's helpful. Um, so let, let me ask, um, maybe is at least a, a place to, to land, because in, in all these conversations, we're just sort of like laying out the appetizer menu. <laughs> um, but imagine um, I am someone who's, who's intrigued by this idea. I'm not connected to, I don't already have an accountability group. I don't have a spiritual director, but I'm inter- I think this would be a helpful thing for me to try. What, what would you uh, recommend for someone who uh, maybe is, is a, a member of a church somewhere in the world, but doesn't know what, what's, their, what's their next step? What, what, what would you, what, what do you say when someone comes to you and says, hey, I'm interested in some kind of a group or direction or something like that? How, how do you direct them or where do you point them? I think if I were to create an accountability group or a covenant group, there are two different ways that I could go about doing it, depending on if I wanted to create several, like, you know, as I as the pastor wanted to create several in my congregation, or if, like, one person expressed interest. And the first way would be to have a blanket statement out there of who is interested in creating, being in an intentional group. And then kind of matching people up. That's one way to go about it. The other way to go about it would be if, like, you aren't trying to create several, but you're trying to create one, is to invite people personally and individually to join in. Because, so, so pastors, in, at least in the Lutheran church, often have mutual ministry committees where it's, a couple of people of the congregation and the pastor, and it's it's one way that the congregation can care for the pastor. But that definitely is a relationship where the pastor invites people into the mutual ministry committee, and it's not like people are appointed to the mutual mm-hmm. ministry committee, because you don't want somebody toxic mm-hmm. on your committee. And with mutual ministry, or not mutual ministry, but with covenant groups or accountability groups, you don't want to have, like, you know, if it has three young women, you don't want to put, like, one 60-year-old man necessarily, in the, and you know that that one 60-year-old man is very, like, sexist. Mm-hmm. That's not going to be a good group. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to create one group, sometimes it's better if you invite people in as opposed to, like, who is interested in joining the group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So for the nerds out there that like to read... Um, <laughs> because this is this is where I, I learned a lot of my information. Is there's a couple books out there. Um, now these are Wesleyan based. So if you're not a Wesleyan, if you're not a Methodist, you know of any type sort, then um, it's still useful. I think it just just know that this is based off of Wesley's sure. pattern. Um, there's a book called The Class Meeting, and then there's also a book called The Band Meeting. They're both by Kevin Watson. Um, and they talk, and he talks about, I've read the class meeting, I've not read the band meeting yet, um, but he talks about kind of the history behind Wesley's mm-hmm. class meetings and how to put one together. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it's, it's really helpful information and you can tweak it to make it work for your group. Sure, You know, because sure. like, like I said, there's different questions that can be asked. There can be goals that you set that you keep as a group or you can just go, how is it with your soul? Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and just ask that question around the group and share that way. Okay. It, it's interesting to me that like throughout the last 2,000 years of Christianity, um, and certainly prior to that in our predecessor stories in, in uh, the traditions before Christianity, um, that in one way or another, smaller groups for this kind of deeper development have, have 
emerged in different ways and different forms, whether it's the ancient desert fathers and mothers who would go out in sort of small groups out in the desert and practice a simple life and community together, or even the monastic tradition that's continued on with monks and, and sisters in, in um, uh, religious traditions, uh, in, in the Catholic tradition, the, the Wesleyan tradition. And in some ways, I almost feel like um, the the the... 12-step phenomenon, like groups like Alcohol and, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, like in some ways they're trying to scratch that same spiritual itch of like a small group of people to whom one can be accountable, share what's going on in their world, and where there's that, in so many words, how is it with your soul, but in this particular area, if this is what we're all struggling with. It seems like the fact this keeps coming coming back as a pattern in whatever whatever the name or, or exact design of it says, it says to me that there's something really helpful about a small number of people um, that just sitting in a room of a bunch of people, a hundred people on, on Sunday in a church building doesn't do because we might all be hearing the same sermon or singing the same songs or praying the same prayers, but there's not that deeper you know, interaction kind of thing. Um, and so there's value. Even if I'm also already worshiping in a congregation or have other Bible study groups I'm a part of or whatever, this is a different tool for a different, different need, I guess. Yeah. What? Did, did, did you want to talk about individual confession and forgiveness? Yeah, maybe we could talk about that as, as, a, as a related way to, to, to deal with our individual stuff. What, what, what would you call to our attention about that? So it, it's an underutilized part of liturgy that at least the Lutherans have, but most Lutherans think of it as a very Roman Catholic thing. So, mm-hmm. uh, so it's, it's part of our hymnal. I don't think I've ever, in the six and a half years of my ministry, ever actually done individual confession forgiveness because it, nobody ever seems to want to do it, but it is an option. Um, so we do have corporate confession forgiveness, often at the beginning of our worship service. Um, but this is an individual thing. And so it is, um, so for example, if I were to have a parishioner want to do confession and for individual confession and forgiveness, you know, they would make an appointment, come to my office, or I would go to their home, depending on what they would like to do. And it is part of our liturgy, and there is space built into the liturgy if they so choose where they could actually name mm-hmm. the sin, and there could be a actual dialogue, and then you proclaim to them God's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Um, but that is, my understanding is that piece is optional. Mm-hmm. If the person wants to keep what they want to confess private mm-hmm. they can one of the challenges like that our, our 500 year lutheran history has wrestled with is the ways confession as a phenomenon could be used or misused and like the, the like if if you're invested in a whole metaphysical scheme where if i haven't said the words out loud it's still on my account with god and hasn't been cleared off um and th- that was part of the, the concern in luther's day that like um well what if what if i've done something wrong and i can't remember if what i don't what if i don't realize the thing i did was wrong and don't re- like does that mean that god's still holding it on my tab and, and like no god's forgiveness does not depend on me having remembered to say the words out loud i did this wrong like that kind of and yet it's valuable to do that sort of self-introspection of like yeah where are the ways i've messed up and i need to own that and how you say that to somebody else um Luther wanted to avoid any cons- any any appearance of um, 
that I'm not forgiven by God unless the priest gives their approval because like that makes the priest a higher authority than God. You know, like no, God's forgiveness does not depend on my local religious professional saying I'm okay. And yet I need to know that forgiveness. So there's still value in that, whether it's a whole group of people or one-on-one. Um, but yeah, there's so, there's so many ways that this can be misused that sometimes Lutherans, uh, at least I'll speak for my own tradition, sometimes say, well, let's not even touch that at all because we're so worried of doing it wrong. Um, and and I, I get that, but on the other hand, um, that means sometimes we're missing out on something that people really need to hear. Yep, I've, I've done this and I really am struggling with it, and I need to know that I'm forgiven uh, as well. And that that is, in, in a sense, still yet a different tool from a spiritual director. I mean, like, it's great to have a spiritual director work through things, and at some point I still need to have somebody with, with authority say, because of what God's done in Christ, I'm forgiven, um, even as I'm still wrestling with the implications or the, the, the ripple effects or whatever of it. And that could be your spiritual director saying that. Yeah. To you. That could be your covenant group. That could be your covenant, you know, anyone can say that to you. I remember one time in seminary, we had a, a confessional time at the beginning of our, of our chapel service, but we never had an absolution. Mm. And let me tell you what, I never realized the importance of absolution until that moment. Mm-hmm. And I went to, I was working for the chapel, and I went to our coordinator, and I said, Justin, like, we, we did a corporate confession and there was no absolution mm-hmm. and so he, he gave me absolution <laughs> and I'm like thank, I, I just needed to hear that and I right. think we underutilize that fact yeah. and have also I've not personally experienced this but I know that a couple of my colleagues have used the individual confession forgiveness with each other because as pastors, we're often the ones speaking the words of absolution, and, and we're included in that for sure. Yeah. But it, it it comes across differently when it's somebody else yeah. saying yeah. to you, God forgives you. Mm-hmm. God loves you. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because... You know, that that sounds completely different than when you're standing up there and saying, hey, God loves us all. Right. You know, like it's, yeah. you know, it's somebody looking at you and saying those words to you. That's what I love about our liturgy in the Methodist Church, like before communion, when we have our communal confession and then we have a moment of silence, then I say these words, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And the congregation respond back to me. Mm-hmm. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. And I don't know other traditions that necessarily do that. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't think But it's do. definitely something that I love about my tradition. Yeah. 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 Is that how the congregation say, and, and I receive that. Yeah. You know, because it, like you said, it, you know, when you say it, if nobody else even says it back to you, when you say it, like, you know that you're included in it as a pastor. But it's nice to hear other people remind you, like, yeah. oh, yeah, you're forgiven too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this has been sort of a whirlwind uh, overview, but a whole, again, hopefully at least a, a couple of different ways to look at this, this way that, that we need people in our lives to help, both help us uh, be accountable, but also to speak grace to us when we need that. Um, and we hope that at least some, something in this conversation has been valuable for you as, been, as you've been listening. We'll uh, invite you to join us next time for more adventures and spiritual practices for a new year. Thanks for listening, everybody. See you all. Bye.